My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. It's Thursday the 14th of December. I'm Sam. I'm Zara. A change in how Australian workplaces must prevent sexual harassment came into effect on Tuesday. Now, importantly, it will enforce proactive measures by employers to limit future sexual harassment cases. We're going to unpack what this all means and what might be different in your workplace. But first, Zara, what is making headlines this morning? At an emergency meeting yesterday, the United Nations passed a resolution demanding a, quote, immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. The resolution is not legally binding. Australia was among 153 member states that voted in favour of the resolution. This comes after it abstained from a vote on the same issue in October. The US and Israel led a group of 10 countries that voted against the motion. The Arctic region has recorded the warmest surface air temperature ever. According to the Arctic report card, the Arctic region is warming faster than the rest of the world, and the summer period this year, from July to September, was the hottest summer ever recorded. American actor Andre Brower has died aged 61. The Emmy-winning actor was known for playing Captain Holt in Brooklyn 99 and Detective Frank Pembleton in Homicide, Life on the Street. And today's good news, the Geminids meteor shower will light up the skies across the world, Australia included, and that's an important point, over the next couple of nights. The annual meteor shower will peak around today and tomorrow and can be viewed in areas far from city lights. This meteor shower comes from an asteroid that was discovered in the 80s. The shower is expected to last a couple of hours and the best chance of seeing them in Australia will be at around 2 or 3 a.m. depending on the state. So Tuesday this week marked the first time that Australia's Human Rights Commission had the power to investigate if companies are not just responding properly to allegations of sexual harassment after they happen, but also taking proactive steps to protect their employees. What do you mean there by proactive steps? So this is really the kind of crux of Mm. the difference in this week to last week, for example, in Mm -hmm. Australia. Previously, we've had this conversation around sexual harassment in the workplace as quite a reactive one. So we've acknowledged that there are guidelines and many professional bodies have their own regulations as to how people should behave at work. But it's mainly been after an event has taken place that the real powers of the law come into force, things like investigations and consequences. That's when we see them, after something's happened. Mm -hmm. Or an allegation exactly. has been made. Yeah. So now Australian businesses could actually be investigated if they're believed to not be implementing specific proactive measures to limit sexual harassment in the workplace. A really interesting way I've seen this being framed in some reports is that we're moving from this idea of zero tolerance to zero harm. So instead of not being tolerant of an act taking place, we're trying to prevent that act from ever taking place in the Mm, first place. Interesting. And so the way that the law plans to do that is through this idea of a positive duty. And that's the obligation on employers to prevent harassment from occurring in the workplace, again, rather than just reacting once it's actually occurred. As to who's policing that, it's going to be the Australian Human Rights Commission. They're going to be in charge of investigating and enforcing the use of this positive duty in the workplace. I mean, it sounds very logical, but it also sounds 
kind of difficult to make happen. Yeah. How did this rule come about? So the positive duty was legislated as part of the anti-discrimination laws that passed federal parliament in December last year. And then after that passed in December, there was kind of this roadmap that was laid out. And I think one of the primary reasons why there was a gradual roadmap and the changes this week are part of that is to give employers time to adjust their practices in light of the law because some of them, including this one, really do impact the way that employers are compelled to behave. So the part of the law that we're focusing on today, so this idea of a positive step towards protecting employees and equally importantly, the ability of the Human Rights Commissioner to investigate a workplace that hasn't done that Mm. only came into effect on Tuesday this week. Okay. But if you go back even further than December last year when those anti-discrimination laws passed, the recommendation to introduce proactive anti-harassment measures into law, that was actually part of a suite of recommendations made by the Human Rights Commission in the Respect at Work report handed to the Australian government back Mm. in 2020. And that was the report that found a need for safer and more respectful workplaces across the whole country and found that this idea of a positive duty could make a difference. And kind of zooming out, because obviously there is a problem that has tried to be rectified with these new laws, what did the Respect at Work report actually tell us about the state of sexual harassment Mm. in Australia? So ultimately that report found that workplace sexual harassment was prevalent Mm -hmm. and it was prevalent across all industries, locations and at every job level. It largely cited a 2018 national survey that found that one in three respondents had experienced sexual harassment at work in the last five years. Mm. Rates of harassment were found to be higher amongst women and young people. So against the backdrop of those extremely damning but I'd say completely unsurprising numbers came this idea that employers need to be taking steps before an incident, not after. Yeah. How does that actually practically play out in a workplace? Mm. So there's not really going to be a specific type of proactive measure that workplaces need to take. It's not like a 10-step guide that everyone Mm. needs to do. It's going to be up to each workplace to determine what's best for their personnel. And I think what that is is a recognition that workplaces are really different you know, and the programs, if they are to be as effective as possible, they need to take into account the different factors like how big the workplace is, the type of work that they do, but also what resources and costs are associated with implementing the programs. As for those programs, what we do know is they could take the form of education and training to improve employee awareness of sexual harassment or the distribution of other awareness materials to workers. Another important part of these proactive measures is the measures to limit incidents of victimisation. And in this context, victimisation is the idea of threatening someone in the workplace. And we know that victimisation can happen in the workplace when someone's thinking about coming forward with an allegation. And by consciously addressing victimisation at work, it's hopes that more people feel comfortable to come forward and lodge a complaint. I don't mean to sound cynical, But we're talking here about private companies Mm. being made to take proactive steps, some that have deeply ingrained cultures, you know, huge companies. How does something like that actually get enforced? Well, that's the task ahead of the Human Rights Commission. And what they've said is that they can't just pick a business and audit the business. Mm. They have to investigate a business on a reasonable suspicion that a breach has happened. And the way that they're going to gather whether 
there's a reasonable suspicion of a breach could be from a number of avenues. It could be from a complaint from an employee to the Human Rights Commission. It doesn't have to necessarily even be an employee. It could be another individual. Or it could be under a referral from another public agency. Interestingly, they also specified that media reports about a business could also lead mm. to an investigation being commenced. Was there any clarification around business sizes? Like, does this equally apply to a business, say, of our size, where mm. we've got just under 20 people? Yeah. The same as it would, you know, one of the big four? It equally applies to every business, but the expectation on what proactive steps need to have been taken is different. And that's where that admission comes in of, you know, we as a small business are not expected to have as thorough or... Yeah, without know, an HR no, department. but nor would we need to have recommendations on how to act on a building site if we mm. don't have mm. a building site as part mm. of our business. So that's where there'll be set that kind of personalisation and discretion applied. I would say that there is a higher expectation the bigger the company mm. and that's about how much resources they have available. I think it's definitely an interesting conversation. I think it also goes to this idea that we as a society are moving more towards prevention, uh, you know, things like affirmative consent, positive duty, all of these concepts about really trying to minimise the harm before it happens, not taking steps after it already has happened. Definitely one to keep an eye on. And Sam, thanks for explaining. That's all we've got time for on today's edition of The Daily Oz. I hope everyone's getting through the week as we head towards the end of the year. We'll be back again in your ears tomorrow morning. Until then, have a great day. 